and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ author. This is Anita Kelly, and my guest today is none other than Radcliffe. Hi, Rad. Hi, Anita. Thanks so much for having me here. Hey. And hello to everyone in the audience, too. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, our listeners love you, and and they like to hear from you. So thank you. Oh, well, I'm glad to be here. So, um, Brad, what I uh, the last time you were on, we talked more about really Rad as an author, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, we did. Yeah, and and so I was thinking um, maybe our listeners might like to learn more about Rad the publisher and and more about the publishing world and and you know what that part of really your uh you mean you mean my other day job yeah that one yeah (laughs) Yeah, that would be great among others right (laughs) i never get tired of talking about publishing so you picked a good subject awesome good i'm glad to hear that so um it's it's difficult right i imagine to keep like all of your you guys have a ton of authors you and you keep adding more and more right every month um like new authors and and i imagine that um when you're really working with that many professionals it's hard to keep everyone on track right everyone has a deadline their work is due at a certain time how how is that possible how does that work for you <laughs> well first I, I don't do anything by myself. Everything is really a team. And that's, I think, the absolute essential um, factor in running any kind of business like this, where you're working with a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, You're right. We do have a lot of authors. Remember, the, I started the company in 2004, okay. Um, okay. which is what, 16, 17 years ago now. Wow. And I looked, I looked back. I was giving it every year. I kind of get a little, little summary to the authors about how business is going and what things are like. And I looked at how many authors I signed the first couple of years and then how many we signed after that. And the very first year there was one author and that was me. <laughs> and very quickly within probably 12 months, I signed another six or seven authors over that first year. We don't sign a lot of new authors every year, even though it seems that way, but we are pretty consistent. We usually sign somewhere between 11 and 13 new authors a year. That's a lot. So, so now we have, in, in terms of authors under contract who have worked with us and may work with us again, or many work with us very, 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 very consistently, probably over 250 authors, I would say. Now, obviously, not all of those authors are publishing a book every single year. Some of them may not publish a book for several years or even sometimes five or six years, and then they'll publish another title. Um, Everybody, or not everyone, but certainly a, a majority of authors have other responsibilities as well, either other jobs or family commitments or other professional obligations, or they just, for whatever reason, don't work quickly and don't write a lot of books. But the the way that we keep everything or, organized, obviously, is we have a production schedule. I mean, we work with what you would consider a traditional mainstream publishing model, meaning that our titles are declared to wholesalers and distributors in advance so that those sellers can market our titles to bookstores, to every outlet that carries books well in advance, which requires us to declare our titles about 12 months in advance. We just are now finishing September through September 2021 through February 2022. That's full. And we're now scheduling in 2022. Jeez. So we have a schedule. We know what titles come out every month. And within that schedule, we know when every title has to be delivered in time to be story edited, copy edited, whatever needs to be done. And way up front, almost as soon as we contract an author, we will um, finish the title, finish the marketing material, 
get the author into the system, have them meet with their editors. So the process starts as soon as we sign, but then it's ongoing until publication and then post-publication in terms of marketing and that that continues as well. But basically it's a big spreadsheet. <laughs> that's that's quite like you have to be so organized. <laughs> well, everybody has to be pretty organized because everybody has a piece on that schedule. The editors are on the schedule, the the typesetters are on the schedule, the ebook techs are on the schedule, the production manager um, basically has all of these manuscripts coming in um, and then going out to the people who are going to proofread them, typeset them. So it's a very, very large process. Um, And, you know, sometimes people are late. Sometimes we have to reorganize the schedule. And so the senior editor, basically Sandra Lowe, uh, manages the overall publication schedule in terms of where the titles go. But within that structure are many other people who are doing other pieces of work. It's really like one big moving machine. (laughs) It is. Yeah. So it's a team, obviously. Everybody is everybody in the in the production module, which includes signing and contracting and editing and marketing. Everybody works together and we're in constant communication in case anything gets out of whack, we have to make adjustments. Yeah. So what do you think in your experience is is the key to developing this good team? Uh I think For me, it's been people who are passionate about doing the work. I think that is the most important factor that has made us successful over time is that I've been very fortunate to meet and find people who have not just a professional but a personal commitment to publishing queer fiction, that this is a job, obviously, but it's also a passion. And, you know, we, I think all of us in queer publishing understand that this is a market that is smaller Mm -hmm. than the general market for books. And we understand that everything we do is, is in a way in on a smaller scale in terms of how much we can sell and how much people will make. I mean, that is just a given. Everybody understands that. But I think that when it means more to you than just how much money you're making, then that really brings the team together and creates a sense of commitment and loyalty that is totally essential. Yeah. When you have people who are passionate about what they do, they produce because it's, it's part of who they are and and they really believe in it. Well, they care. I mean, I think that everyone that, that I work with on a daily basis, they care about, everything about how well the author's experience, how good the author's experience is, how well we support the authors in terms of developing their craft, how well we can market those works so that we can reach an audience that they might not otherwise be able to reach. I mean, everyone who is working on a piece of this product cares ultimately that the authors have a good experience. I mean, there's no point being a publisher or running a publishing company, in my opinion, if that's not the bottom line. Right. That's, that's your product, right? Yeah. So it, it I mean, you obviously are doing a good job because <laughs> I, I talked to a lot of your authors and they all, they all love it at your house. <laughs> like, you know, so that tells me that, that it's working for you and, and you're really taking good care of them. Um, that's so important. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that, and I hope that's true. And we we try all the time to find more roads of communication so that if things aren't working, we know about it because we can't fix anything we don't know about. It's been a challenge, obviously, this last year because we haven't been able to meet face-to-face with the authors, which over time with multiple events, we've been able to meet many of them. Not everyone travels and many of our authors are international, but we've missed the opportunity to meet with authors face to face, but we've been able to pivot into doing online events and, you know, previewing the author's works and getting them 
you know, into the Zoom meetings and out into the public that way. So that that's helped a lot. Yeah. And I think you guys really took the lead on that mm. um, in, you know, um, having these uh, like Zoom sessions, right? Um, virtual sessions where meet and greet yeah. the author and, and, you know, this is what's coming out monthly. Um, I see now other publishing houses are doing that, but I think, you know, you were the first one that I saw and that was, that was great. That was a great idea. Um, it really put you out there, put the authors out there. Um, and, and, you know, people were looking for something to do too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, we pivoted very quickly. I mean, that is true. When, when this all came down at the end of March, we were all set to start our busiest event season, which usually starts in late March and runs through November in terms of what events that we sponsor and what events we go to and what events we meet with the authors. And all of a sudden, all of those things were being canceled. And we pivoted very quickly to the bookathon um, idea that we started in April in which we now pretty much run every quarter so that we can premiere all the titles that are coming out and, um, every month we do online preview sessions with author readings so that readers can see what they're going to be able to get the next month. And it it's beneficial in many more ways than just supporting the titles that are coming out. It's allowing us to interface with readers in a way that we really couldn't even do before, even face to face, because now we can meet with so many more readers than we were able to in terms of face-to-face events because not everybody travels. So it's been great. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous asset for us to interface with readers. So we all, we enjoy it very much. Do you think that that's something even after the pandemic um, that you'll continue to do? Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's any question. I mean, right now we're doing monthly previews where every month the new titles are previewed with author readings. And that's something that we were never, you know, we wouldn't do that before. If we were at an event, we might have a new author panel. Mm-hmm. But this way, every single title that's going to come out throughout the year is presented to the reading public. And that plus the bookathons where we can do a lot more in terms of craft panels and just interfacing with authors and readers, there, we absolutely will not do less. We'll probably do more. Yeah. Yeah. That's one um Actually, I think there's two good things that came out of this pandemic. And one is the fact that more people are connecting, you know, Mm. yeah, through Zoom or, you know, whatever platform they're using um, that they wouldn't have thought about before. Even like in in my field, uh, my primary field, teletherapy is going so well and so many people love it and and want to continue to do that. Um, and, and I think that the second th- good thing is that people have kind of slowed down a little bit and, you know, kind of taken stock of what's hmm. important, you know? And I think that's true. I, I agree with both of those things. I think that, you know, I mean, on balance, we can't say that it was a good thing this happened, but it takes events like this sometimes to force us to adapt in ways that we hadn't anticipated that maybe we would have done in five years, but all of a sudden we did it in five weeks. Yeah. So it's certainly, I think it's been great for us as a publishing company to learn new ways to communicate, because I think that is the challenge going forward into the future is how to communicate what we're doing with the people who will actually be consuming the products that we create. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. You're right. And, and it's a big change and you guys did it really quickly. Um, you know, the other thing that, um, occurred to me, right. You have, you seem to publish maybe 10 new novels each month. Is that like a conscious business decision or, is that just like the schedule that works for you or how did you decide on that? Well, partly again, it's, it was set to meet the demands of the authors that we represent early on that, you know, when I first started, we had two titles, <laughs> two titles a month. That was where we started. Wow. And the first um, probably, well, I brought out all of my own personal backlist in about two months 
um, when I started the company, I brought all my own backlist out right away. And then the authors that I signed, I brought all of their titles out in probably the first eight or nine months. And by the end of 15 months, we were at two titles a year. But as I added more authors, especially prolific authors, then we would go up. But the infrastructure has to be there to support that. You have to have the editors. You have to have the typesetters. You have to have a graphic artist. We have more than we have multiples of all these people. Wow. We don't work with just one person in each area or we'd never be able to carry the load. So we're constantly over time expanding all of that inter- infrastructure that supports that many titles. And we're probably we're we can flex. I mean, we can go up a couple of titles, but with the structure that we presently have in order to, you know, be sure that all the parts move and that everybody is well represented, probably 10 to 12 titles right now is a really good number for us. And so we said at 10, but if we have a new author that comes on and the manuscript is ready and it doesn't need a lot of editing and we want to try to push it into a certain, you know, period of time, a certain block, Mm -hmm. then we can do that. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned back titles, right? Um, mm. When you sign on a new author and, and they have some back titles, do you automatically try to like buy the rights to those books or how does that work? Well, if they're under contract, we're not interested in their backlist. I mean, I, I don't I don't buy the rights to any contracted backlisted title. If we sign an author who has the rights to their backlist already, which which may be the case, which is often the case, it depends. I mean, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And then it's going to be a case by case decision when I look at how long has the book been out? um, Is it likely to sell more if we reissue it? We very frequently do because we bring a bigger audience to the authors and what they had previously, which means there's still sales to be made. So again, if, if an author has the rights to a backlist, then we will look at, you know, each book and decide if that's something that we think is marketable at this point, or is it something that will appeal to the audience that we know we have. But in terms of if they're under contract, if those titles are contracted elsewhere, I'm not interested in negotiating for them. It's, it's really, it, it's it's not really worth it yeah right um so and and if let's say um uh an author um submits uh their manuscript and they have also submitted it to another publishing house would you consider it or you did tell, tell them just one at the at same time? time yeah at the same time we um do not review simultaneous submissions which essentially means that if someone submits a manuscript to us we want the exclusive right to look at it and there are several reasons for that number one we put a lot of effort time and money into reviewing submissions Mm -hmm. we try to do it as quickly as reasonably you know which in a reasonable time frame which is usually 12 to 16 weeks okay Um, And I'm not interested in, well, two things. I'm not interested in getting into a bidding war with another publisher, not at all. Um, And very truthfully, if an author, I think it's important that an author have a sense of where they want to position their work and who they want to work with. And if someone is essentially shotgunning and sending it to every, and we see this, I mean, I'll sometimes get a submission and I can see that they've sent it to 15 places. They're not really committed to working any particular place. Um, And we are committed to long-term relationships with our authors. I mean, that has been our philosophy from the beginning. And the reason is that it takes a while to build a publishing career. Mm -hmm. It, It isn't one book. I mean, sometimes you will see the rare author who really hits with book number one. Um, but that's unusual. It usually takes two or three titles, sometimes even more. Some of our best-selling authors, it, you know, they, they sold well from the beginning, but their titles were okay. They were doing fine. But then all of a sudden on book four, boom, suddenly the world realized they were there. And all of a sudden sales doubled. 
It takes a while to build an audience. And that's a message that we give to every one of our authors. And what that means is that I want to work with those individuals long term. Mm -hmm. So if that's not of interest to an author, if they're just looking for some place that's going to copy edit their work and put a cover on the book and put it out, that's not us. Yeah. Do you come across many of those authors? Not really. I mean, we sometimes will get people who, who, when we tell them we would like to review this work, we remind them that we do not review simultaneous submissions. Some of them will say, oh, I didn't realize that, or, oh, I just sent it somewhere else. Um, and we say, that's fine. Um, get back to us if you're still interested in having us review it when you're finished with whatever you're doing elsewhere. Okay. And sometimes they'll you know, contact us a couple of months later and say, you know, I'd like you to review this now, and we will. Okay. So um, in order to publish with Bold Strokes, someone would submit um, their manuscript. Um, mm -hmm. Or I've heard people talk about um, you will hold, like, pitch sessions where someone might come to you and pitch an idea. And maybe they mm -hmm. haven't even written it yet. But mm -hmm. how, how does that work? Well, it's really fun. And, it, you know, now that you remind me, I, I, it's something I should we should probably be doing virtually at this point. Um, basically, what we generally do at events is we'll we'll schedule pitches. And what that means is an author will come and in 10 minutes they will present their book idea. Maybe they've written it and maybe they haven't. And they'll talk about, you know, this is a um, a mystery featuring whatever, and they'll explain the plot and they'll present their idea for their work. And if it's written, they'll say it's 70,000 words and whatever. And that gives us an, uh, uh, the possibility, the option to talk to them back and forth about it and see if it sounds like something that we would be interested in. And if it is, we'll tell them, this sounds great, really like the idea, we'd love to review the submission. Then they can decide if they want to send it to us or not, and they have the opportunity to ask us questions at that point. If we don't think it's ready or if it sounds like there's something a little bit um, missing in their pitch, then we'll make some suggestions. For us, for us it's a kind of a, a communication process. And we'll say, you know, this sounds great, but you might consider X, Y, and Z when you think about whatever the conflict is or whatever. Okay. So it's it's a very fun thing to do. Does that work out for you? Like, I'm thinking, suppose someone comes up to you and they have a fantastic, super idea, mm -hmm. but they suck at writing. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a problem because obviously we only publish written works. Yeah. Um, and if they can't get it down, I mean, we don't contract anything based on a pitch. Okay. We don't contract anything based on anything less than a full manuscript. Okay. The, except, you know, in the weirdest, most unusual of circumstances, because you really have to see the whole manuscript to see if the whole story works. I mean, maybe it starts out strong and falls apart. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it starts out really slow and the pace is wrong and the opening chapter is just awful. But... The story's great and it gets better. You have to have the whole manuscript to know that. Okay. Um, but, you know, if somebody has a great idea, but they can't write it down, then that somebody needs to get some kind of experience writing. They probably need to take some workshops or, um, you know, work, maybe work one-on-one -on -one with, with an editor who will help them develop their craft. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean... It's kind of like maybe you've got a great ear for music, but you can't play the piano. Yeah, right. Uh, you, you, it's a learning process. Writing is a craft. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the creativity part of it, yes, that's that's not teachable. Mm -hmm. That's the art Yeah. in this art form. But certainly elements of craft can be learned and learning how to put a story together and what works and what doesn't. And certainly reading. I mean, reading a good book and looking at how it's put together and what the sentences look like, where does it open? What happens in the first chapter? Those are the kinds of things that we can educate ourselves about as authors. Mm -hmm. Do you think, so um, I uh, was teaching uh, in a college setting for a while and 
one of the things that I noticed was that um, uh, many people just didn't even know how to compose a sentence. Like they, <laughs> they, they, I don't know, I think like in elementary school, they must have stopped teaching grammar. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you find that like when people submit manuscripts that they really um, don't have that, you know, kind of concept down? Sometimes. I mean, to get an entire story written is a huge undertaking. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, to write 60,000 words or 70,000 words is really requires a tremendous amount of commitment and passion. And usually people who do that have some level of skill. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I would say most of the time when we decline manuscripts, it's because there's a major problem with the story. Um, Certainly if the craft is not fixable in reasonable editorial efforts, then we couldn't take it. And sometimes you will see people whose craft is pretty bad. I mean, that can't punctuate sandwich. I mean, can't punctuate sentences. I mean, if the, if the first five paragraphs are filled with run on sentences and they don't know how to write dialogue and don't have under any understanding of when you should start a new paragraph, that is not a work we can fix. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes um, authors will have weaknesses. I mean, huh, everybody has weaknesses. We all do when we start, but they're teachable and fixable. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the story is strong, but there are areas of craft in which there are problems, we will take that book and then the editors will work with the author and work on those areas of weakness. So the next manuscript will be stronger. Do you think that um, during the pandemic you received um, more uh, manuscript submissions than you have in like normally would say in a month? Yeah, I, I think we have just recently. And obviously, you know, it's been a year almost. And it seems like the last couple months, there's been a little bit of uptick. We're usually very steady. It's a little bit seasonal. I mean, I think that for some reason, um, in the dead of winter, we don't usually like get a lot of submissions, which maybe means people aren't writing during the summer. Um, so it ebbs and flows. But on balance, it's pretty steady. And I, I do think that just recently, the last month or so, it seems like we've seen a little bit more. Um, and that may be a result of people having the time to do what they always wanted to do, but didn't have the time to do. Yeah. 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 So do you think your, um, like readership has increased since the pandemic? It's hard to know because, um, I can tell you that people are reading. I, you know, I didn't know what to expect when the whole pandemic started in terms of what's going to happen. Um, are people, you know, going to be worried about spending any kind of money on, I wouldn't call reading pleasure. I would call reading essential, mm-hmm. but some people consider it, you know, entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case. The sales are pretty steady. So people are still reading. Now, are there new readers? It's a little hard to know. We do look at, we have a very, very vibrant um, web store, web presence where we have a a large readership that comes to our website to get new works or to get specials. We do a daily bargain every day, which you probably know Mm -hmm. where we put books on sale every single day um, for $3.99. That is a great deal. Listeners, you should check that out. (laughs) (laughs) Every, so all you have to do is, I'll do a little pitch. All you have to do is sign up for the daily bargain newsletter. And every day a book will come, um, and some of them are old favorites and some of them are brand new books. And it, that's been a very popular, that's very popular. Oh, so we can tell by new people signing up that we are getting new readers, but it's really hard to tell if, if there's a lot more new people that we're reaching. I hope so. We're always trying to reach the readers that don't know about us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I, I'm I'm hoping so too, and and I see just um, uh, from the statistics from like monthly from this podcast that we're reaching different countries even. Mm. Um, so, you know, hopefully that that is you know 
Well, I do see, I do see that, you know, we market in every channel that's available for sales. And I have seen a a larger number of international sales and new countries being added. So we are certainly reaching globally more readers than we ever have before in places that it's just amazing to me that we are getting there. Um, And so there's no reason to think that's not happening domestically as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. It's exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, do you think that and and I don't know maybe you've not looked at this but the the genre has changed like I I'm thinking romance is probably your most popular genre um but do you think that that's changed over the pandemic or has it stayed steady You mean oh you mean sales Yeah um I don't that, well looking at the titles that we've sold I would say no I don't I don't think it's declined or particularly increased um, I would, I, I don't think it's too soon to really tell, but I haven't really noticed that. Okay. We, we pretty much, we have a good diverse list. Obviously romance predominates, which is true with just about any fiction publisher. That's always going to be the case. Yeah. It's just a popular genre, yeah. but the other titles, particularly some of the YA titles have sold very well. Oh, great. So I think that, um, everything is still I think there's still interest for diversity and you know the thing about romance is that it in and of itself is so diverse so you may have romantic fantasy or a sci-fi romance or a romantic intrigue which is really a thriller or a mystery so the mixed genres within romance have so much to offer that the sales remain high because if there's something that people like to read, there may be a romance associated with it and it's going to be marketed like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys definitely produce a variety, um, which is great. Yeah. So, um, so when someone, um, like submits a, a manuscript, is there anything in particular that bold strokes is looking for anything special? Like what kind of works? Well, we're pretty much we're pretty much looking at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that we don't we don't do much nonfiction, and if the only nonfiction we would probably be interested in would be memoir, and it would have to be, but we have a very strong hook okay. because basically I don't want to publish anything that I don't think is going that won't be well represented for the author. If I think I can't reach the audience for a particular work, then I'm not going to publish it because that just doesn't do anybody any favors. It doesn't help the author. And obviously it doesn't help us. Um, But in terms of fiction, we are pretty much looking at everything and what I'm looking for in a submission, obviously, is, as I said before, a finished manuscript, a coherent plot synopsis. I need to know what is this book about. Mm-hmm. And the more you, whatever is unique about this work or whatever defines this work, you want to try to get that into the synopsis so that it will stand out among all the other ones because if you just say well this is a love story about two people who meet in college (laughs) and go through you know grow up together I need to know a lot more about what drives the individuals so what it behooves authors to do is do a little research on the internet and see what should be in a synopsis that's a great that's idea. E- that's easy enough to do. Just Google, what should I put in my synopsis? Yeah. Um, so that I can get very quickly. And so our reviewers can also get an idea of what this manuscript is about. Because we have a, a really, our reviewers are almost all readers. 
who have been reading in this field for a very long time. And I find it very helpful to get input from the people who are going to be consuming the product. So I don't want to just look at these manuscripts as an editor or as a publisher. I want to know what are readers like about it. Mm -hmm. So a, a good synopsis, a good summary, and a little bit about why you're sending this book. Why are you sending it to us? Is there something that do you like a cup? You know, is it because you've read some of our books and you like them? Or do you think that we will represent you well? I mean, something that makes a personal connection because this is a personal relationship. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's great. Mm-hmm. So um, do the authors then have input? Um, so you, you decide you're going to publish someone's works. Do they have, uh, input into the design, like the cover design and, and the title and, and all that goes into that? Well, the, the title for sure. I mean, I would say half the time the titles are terrible, um, <laughs> because, because people think about, oh, I'm, you know, they, they pick a title that has something to do with their favorite scene or some other thing that inspired them to write the book but titles are one of the three most important marketing elements yeah so and usually authors don't think about it that way so we will very often say probably going to need a title change and then we'll make some suggestions the author will make some suggestions and usually after a couple of rounds we'll get a title that will work Because the titles are very important. They telegraph to the reader and to buyers, which is also really important because you want the wholesalers and the distributors and the booksellers to want to buy your book because they think they can then sell it. So titles are really important and they almost, well, not always, but I would say about half the time get changed in conjunction with the author. Okay. In terms of the cover, we have basically a whole template that the author fills out and sends in with information about the characters, uh, a blurb that will be used on the back of the book, and their ideas about covers. And we let them know where our cover artists get their images so they can go there and see if they see some images that represent what they're seeing in their head so that they can then send us their ideas like i really like this it represents that and depending on what the images look like hopefully we will try to have our cover artists use them then the authors will get the mock-ups usually two maybe three choices and they'll be able to say well i really like this one but i don't like the color of the font or this is really great but can my name be bigger so it's they definitely have input but they do not have the final say on the cover okay this just occurred to me i it seems like um uh, i don't know how many years ago let's let's say 10 years ago it seemed like covers were more of a graphic design and i noticed there seemed to be um a a change to more of a photograph um, or... I think it's going around the other way now. Really? Uh, I mean, you're right in that the covers change because it's just like anything else, right? It's like clothes or fashion. Yeah. The cover is a marketing tool. And if every mystery in the bookstore has a particular kind of cover that says, I'm a mystery, you want your book to have a cover like that mm-hmm. because readers are going to be skimming. Whatever it is, whether they're looking at a pamphlet or they're in a bookstore or they're on a website and they're going to be captured by a cover that says to them, hey, this is the kind of book that you like to read. And if the cover is is totally misrepresents the book, Mm -hmm. that is not a good marketing tool. No, not at all. What we're seeing now is, I think, a switch away from photographic um, images more towards more graphic images. Um, And, you know, it just it cycles like everything else. So I think we're just starting to see that a lot. I mean, I think if you look at just go on Amazon and look at new releases and the covers will look different than they did probably a year ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, And that's good. You know, you 
like you mentioned, you know, you want the the cover to represent what the book's about. Like you don't want to do right. a bait and switch, you know. Um, no, and you never want to do that. There's no point in doing that, yeah. and it's not a good marketing tool. No, you upset the readers. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what do you think is is the most challenging aspect of publishing for you? Mm. Person, well, from a business point of view, I think that the most challenging aspect is reaching the market. Um, it's hurt us. I think it's hurt queer publishing tremendously to lose our bookstores. Um, I, it's amazing that it, it, it hasn't literally been a death blow. Um, because that was how people found our books is in books, in queer bookstores or feminist bookstores. And, you know, there used to be hundreds across the country and now there are none i mean there might be a couple there might be six i mean we're, we're literally talking you could count them yeah. um and that means that so many of our titles get lost um that people just don't know about them so i think our challenge is discoverability hmm. visibility and discoverability how do we get our titles our authors and their work in front of as many readers as we possibly can. And now in this world, when we can't meet with people physically at events, um, you know, how do we, how do we shift? And so that's, that's our constant sort of um, what we work on in terms of our marketing plan is finding every avenue we possibly can to reach, to reach, um, potential readers. Yeah, I think that that's key. That's tough too. Yeah. And you know, even I think Giovanni's room down in Philly, I think he yeah. closed, you know, uh, they switched. I mean, they were going to close and then they've, they've changed their focus. I'm not sure they're really a bookstore anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think they physically still exist, but I'm not sure. I mean, that is the first place. That's where I found the very first um, other than Bebo Brinker when I was 12, that was the place I found the very first work of lesbian fiction that was published by Nyad Press. Okay. And that's where I found the first one that I read as an adult because okay. I went to medical school there. Um, and, you know, I, it was an amazing it, it was an amazing experience. And I can remember going back week after week after week and no more books would come. I mean, literally six months and another book would come. Oh. And I, you know, I mean, it was like I, I lived there, you know, just waiting for the next book. Yep. That's what it was like within a, one individual's lifetime. How much has changed? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we used to go to, down to Giovanni's room and, and down to New Hope. Uh, yeah. Oh, I forget the name of the bookstore down there, but yeah. Um, and it was always Nyad Press. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so how do you manage <laughs> to run this publishing house, run a farm, you mentor authors, um, and you still crank out like three or four novels of your own each year? Um, well, the farm part's easy. I, um, I do the animal care in the morning which basically means, you know, letting all the birds out of the coop and making sure the goats have food and feeding the cats. But we do have help at night in terms of, you know, getting everybody back in the barn and, and that stuff. So okay. the, we, as with everything else in my life, I have help. Um, in terms of my jobs, I schedule everything, including my writing. And I think that that is really important. I know exactly how long I have to write my books, which means I know exactly how many words I have to write every week and I don't screw around with it. Really? If I have to write 7,000 words a week, that's how much I write. Um, and that's about how much I write. You are I mean, disciplined then. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's what it takes. Um, and everybody's discipline is different. I mean, okay, some people need a year to write a book. Okay, if you need a year to write a book, that's good, but write it in a year. Mm -hmm. 
um, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. With me, fortunately, it's a faster turnaround time, so I can, you know, I can write faster. Mm -hmm. But I also know when I get up in the morning, I think, okay, what are the things I must do today? You know, like today I got up and we, ha- I, um, I run the audiobook production. Okay. Okay. I schedule. I interface with the narrators. I do everything for the audiobooks. And I knew that I had just gotten proof changes from the proofer who listens to the audiobooks. And I needed to get that to the narrator so that she could make the corrections so that we could get this book out on time. So when I woke up this morning, I thought, what are the things I need to do today? Well, I need to listen to the changes and make sure they need to be made and get them to the narrator. And that's what I do every day. I mean, these things must be done. Mm-hmm. So that's all. What's your least favorite part of of the job? <laughs> um, balancing the books. Yeah. I hate doing that every month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> Um, I, I wouldn't be too like on the ball with that. There, there's a lot of nitpicky, um, not exciting work that has to be done. I mean, every month when the sales reports come in, I enter them into the royalty programs. Um, you know, the royalty, keeping the royalties correct is absolutely essential in a publishing company. You cannot screw around with royalties. Mm-hmm. So I, I do that myself. When the sales reports come in, I review the sales reports. It's not my. It, it's not like it's my least favorite job. I mean, it's a critical key piece of the work, but it's drudgery. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm looking at spreadsheets and I'm checking sales and I'm importing them into the royalty program to make sure that when we get ready to pay royalties, everybody gets paid. Sounds tedious. It's tedious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Kind of exciting because I get to see what books are selling, but you know, every single one of our vendors sends a sales report. Uh, So uh, Amazon, Kobo, Smashwords, Barnes and Noble, all our distributors, you know, the web store, there's a lot of them. Yeah. (laughs) Audible. Oh man. Wow. So. All right. So you're already doing all of this stuff in your life, right? (laughs) What is the one thing that you'd like to accomplish in your life that that you haven't yet tried or haven't ventured into? Well, I can't, I can't honestly say that I'm craving to do something that, you know, I've spent my life wishing I could do. Uh, I certainly would like to travel a little bit more i'm not a huge traveler not for long periods of time but we were scheduled to go to the galapagos over christmas this year that's like i really want to do that okay i love turtles and i love nature i'm not really interested in seeing all the cities of the world Mm -hmm. but i would like to see the natural wonders of the world Mm -hmm. and so we were going to go but the cruise we couldn't go and I don't know when we'll be able to go, but that's the sort of thing that I would, you know, I would really like to do to make time to do that. Yeah. But yeah. personally, professionally, I really love what I'm doing. I don't um, plan on changing that at all as long as, what? you know, my brain, my brain keeps functioning. I'm glad I'll to hear that. that. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners and your readers are glad to hear that, too. So. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, I think our, our business is expanding all the time. I'm working with a couple of new editors now, and um, I really enjoy that a lot, doing some mentoring. And so that that's a, a new piece for me, a little bit more teaching. I really like to teach. Awesome. Great. So, Rad, I would be totally remiss, and I think people would be upset if I didn't ask what you're working on now or what's what's coming out and in the future, what can we expect from Rad? Um, I am just about two chapters away from finishing my May release, which is called Unrivaled, which is another installment in the Quinn and Honor world. Ooh. It is not really a, a follow-up or a sequel. It's a standalone romance, but it does take place in Quinn and Honor's world at the in the Philadelphia Medical Center area with a new romance. 
and some of the characters from Passionate Rivals. So one of the characters from Passionate Rivals is the main character in this new medical romance. And then I've introduced a, a new doctor who was an old friend of honors who's come back to town. So that will be out in May. Awesome. And I don't usually think very hard about the book I'm going to write next while I'm writing one, although I'm supposed to, but I don't usually. <laughs> uh, I'm supposed to declare my titles, but I'm probably going to write a, I'm just working on the title, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be called Pathways to Love. And it's going to be a new romance in the River series, which will be out in the fall. Oh, great. That's a great series. Yeah, it's it's given me a lot of latitude because I can bring characters, all kinds of characters in. But, you know, I have the foundation in terms of the setting, which is really nice. And people seem to enjoy it. Yeah. Didn't Quinn and Honor show up in that setting? Mm, or am I thinking of I think they might have shown up in the Provincetown Tales. Okay. Which, you know, I finally gave in and... And and wrote another one that 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 just came out, yeah. um, Treacherous Seas. Yep. That came in November. That was a great one. It really, really fun when I wrote it. So yeah, that was great. I like that one. Oh, um, good. I'm hear it. And and any um, will we hear about uh, Winter and Pierce anymore? <laughs> that's a big request too, and that's another actual, you know, that's another universe that I really do enjoy writing. I mean, Trauma Alert, Turn Back Time. Yeah are in that series. And I've done a lot of crossovers in that series with um, the Justice series and Heartstop, which was with the first responders, which also crossed over. Okay. So that's a possibility. That's based on where I personally trained. So Turn Back Time is very much about kind of my training experience. That's one of my favorite of yours, for sure. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking of, I can't remember the name of it, but it was, um, you won't did, be able to either. <laughs> you did the uh, crossover with the, um, uh, the Philadelphia detective, uh, Rebecca Fry. Uh -huh. And, um, that was a crossover with, um, oh, what was the other series? That crossed over oh. with Heartstop and, well, uh, an honor series. Cost of honor. Yeah. That was a big crossover. I mean, that was really um, those two series kind of like merged for that book. And I did it intentionally because I wanted to set the the whole thing with the president in Philadelphia. And I thought, well, I need cops. And then I thought, well, I already have a whole bunch of cops. Yeah. <laughs> I have an entire series and they're both their contemporaries. So there's no reason not to just use them. And that was really fun. Yeah. Really. Oh, I got I got to bring back some of the characters that I haven't visited in quite a while, especially like Sandy and Dell, which were favorites with readers. So that was fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sandy's a pip. Yeah. So great. Well, we look forward to Unrivaled. That's coming out in May. Thank you. And perhaps Pathways to Love. We'll, we'll see what the name turns out to be. Great. Um, yeah. And uh, Treacherous Seas was out in November. So that's awesome. So you've been busy. Oh. Thank you. I have been busy. Yeah. So, um, Rad, do you have any have any parting words for our listeners? Uh, only thank you. Thank you so much for supporting us. Um, we wouldn't be here without you, and we wouldn't have any purpose without you. So we are very indebted to all of you. And I hope that we can see you in person sometime soon. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Rad. It was really great to talk to you again, and uh, we really enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Anita. Thanks very much. Absolutely. Um, so, again, I'm Anita Kelly, and thanks for joining Les Talk About Books, baby. So, until next time, may your journey be lighthearted, peace be plenty, and be safe out there, folks. <laughs>